Hello Internet, this is Kopitiam Council and as always I'm your host Hafiz and today I'm with... Today he's with me, Arif Adi Putra, but everybody calls me Adi. Yes, uh, usually you have uh, in Kopitiam Council you have myself, Nikki, Ifti and Ikram, but today I'm with Adi and uh, we're both looking forward to have more uh, sessions like this podcast, more episode uh, podcasts for all of you out there. And yes, today, Adi, let's uh, dive uh, straight to uh, our topic today. So what are we going to talk about? <laughs> well, this is based on a clubhouse room me and Hafiz did on Thursday night, where we were just discussing the government's policy and the approach to the recent you know, MCO lockdown and the recently announced uh, Pumuli package. Of course, the um, you know some may have reservations toward this. Definitely, we had reservations there, and the entire club, we, the clubhouse room, we thought you know why not we just expand on it and you know converse on it through a podcast because uh, I think there's a lot to take away from the the whole lockdown recently that we've had since um, it's been going for how long a month already <laughs> one month yeah and from there like you know people um, quite mixed feelings towards it. Definitely, we did. And we came generally to the consensus that I think more should have been done. And there's just a lot of factors to consider, not just the, you know, the direct factors, but there's all of underlying you know, factors that also affect the whole decision making. And in essence, it just affects us all. And I think in a way we are quite tired for all of these uh, lockdowns and the situation that we are in. And I think part of it to attribute to is uh, our leaders and their approaches to the whole COVID uh, pandemic. Yeah, basically, uh, the other day in Clubhouse, uh, there were Dr. O, there was Samuel, uh, Dr. O is a political commentary, uh, 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 Samuel Ho is a youth uh, representative from Penang, and we have Alvin, is an entrepreneur in Sabah. So basically, uh, it's very interesting because all this from, come from all walks of life. And these people uh, came up with different... First of all, I like their stories about uh, their struggle, especially the entrepreneur. Uh, how they struggle, like uh, Elvin said, there's uh, one of his um, uh, friends actually uh, in debt for 1.5 million ringgit. That is, you know, like, uh, that is the quintessential of how we picture... Uh, someone struggling in a pandemic, especially those who have uh, huge businesses prior to uh, COVID-19 situation. And now they're in debt because of trying to revive and revitalize their business again. But again, because of government's policy, everything that they do comes to, uh, couldn't come to fruition because all just go down to the drain because it's nothing, nothing, nothing can be done anymore because of uh, inefficient uh, uh, government policy. I think the you know, what we can say here is that more could have been done with the, go- the government does. I mean, look at the situation we have now. In Sabah, the chief minister, Hadiji Mohamed Noor, he made a statement saying that we could dine in. We could you know, finally open up restaurants. We can finally gather in uh, you know, small um, quantities of people. But then just a day after, everything U-turned. And this was a statement made by you know, MKN in Putrajaya. They said that, oh, you cannot do that. So who really is the decision maker here? And is it sure that, you know, 
every state really, um, I'm, I'm quite baffled by this, is that every state experiences COVID differently. The infection rate is different from state to state. And just been looking at like um, on the local level, on the municipality level, different places, uh, you know, they get affected at a different rate. So we were quite of the opinion that, you know, what is up here? Who really gets to make the shots? It seems to me that there is too much... Uh, federal uh, interference when it comes to you know, making the decisions. It's uh, that the top dog, the final arbiter on what is the uh, lockdown policies. Of course, now, like I think some restaurants we can dine in, some you still only can you know, take away, but it's just confusing to people. And some people, they were under the assumption, okay, we can dine in, these are restaurateurs. They can open up their shop. They thought you know, they can finally conduct business again in Sabah. And next thing you know, the next day, you know, MKN makes a huge slap saying that, no, you cannot. And some people, they were fined because of this. Some people were penalized because of this, because of confusion. And I think that is the general attitude here that we're all having. You know, it's confusion for everyone. We don't know what's going on. When is everything going to get better? And I think, the, you know, the lockdown, uh, how much was it last month? It was around 7,000. Six, yeah. Six, 7,000, yeah. Six, 7,000. A month into lockdown, it's still six, 7,000. So <laughs> is this really an effective policy, to be honest? Yeah, exactly. Like uh, what I mentioned the other day on Clubhouse, right? Like I, what we, we need to stop whatever they were doing because it's no longer working. Like you mentioned, in the start of June, 6,000, 7,000 cases. By the end of one month... Uh, we spent a month of June in lockdown. What's the result? Numbers still the same. So that is a waste of lockdown. And it's not a lockdown that we can afford anyway. You know, people are suffering. Uh, 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 Bendera Puti campaign have been happening. Now, Bendera Hitam also because of uh, hashtag Kerajaan Gagal. So these are the things of result of uh, uh, incompetent uh, policies by the government. Like I also mentioned in the clubhouse, like uh, maybe there are things, because I, 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 I look at the brighter side here, uh, if you want to talk about issues like even mourn about the uh, problem that we have surrounding us, like might as well come up with solutions. So I have a few solutions. So the first one is to to do more testing and then trust and then uh, uh, isolate and then vaccinate. Okay? Why this is important? So that we could, uh, like, like I said, we could isolate and segregate all these cases so that other communities not infected. Because that's how virus works, right? Like um, you have a good, uh, good area or good uh, uh, group of people, community, and then you have an affected area. If these two mix, then every, everyone get infected. It's as simple as that. You don't need the rocket science to, to figure this out. So to translate that into policy, just like, again, uh, I think we're going to talk a lot about uh, uh, how we're going to learn from Singapore because uh, Singapore now doing, what, because Singapore only have like single or double digit cases only. This is Singapore, right? Uh, it's a country that's very dense uh, uh, population with 5 million on the tiny postage uh, uh, stem island what they're doing now they're promoting trace isolate and vaccinate they must do a lot of testing throughout the island and then once they trace everyone because you get a result they're going to trace wherever that you go uh, whether you're positive or not because you know with all these uh, different variants now and then in the end vaccination these three layer steps 
working and we should learn from Singapore. So that's what we should do now here. We need to do more testing because the only states or maybe a few that do a lot of testing equivalent to uh, WHO recommendation are Penang and Selangor or uh, Klang Valley included. So the, we, we have 33 million uh, Malaysians and only these two uh, states doing doing what it's necessary to 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 combat this covid-19 so it's not it's not going to work so we need to beef up our uh, testing especially in states like Sarawak and Johor when where we can see cases rising all right secondly what we need to do is to segregate businesses I mean, categorize businesses not based on what is uh, essential and non-essential, but based on their ability to uh, to adhere to the SOP. The approach that we're taking right now, we see that from a consumer perspective. So we see like, oh, essential. What is essential? Something what I need every day. So food, that's why supermarkets open. So that's why markets open. Uh, what do I need every day? I need uh, money. So that's why banks can operate even with restricted hours. But if we need, if we see from from business owner's point of view, this doesn't make sense because certainly business need to open, right? But different business have different nature of their businesses. So for example, we have cinema. Cinema now have been closed since March. The, that's one of the first major industry that takes uh, that takes a, lo- a lot of uh, troll on this, right? So what happened is, if cinema can adhere to the SOP, what is the problem for them to open again? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. If they can provide a segregation barrier, the plastic. Uh, The, the 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 clear plastic uh, segre- uh, barrier, the um, uh, spaces in between seats, maybe two three uh, seats, one meter apart, right? Then why we don't allow cinema to operate? And we have a massage parlor, right? Where almost impossible because the nature of the business requires a human touch. So yeah, those businesses unfortunately cannot. But what are the main majority businesses can do something about it. So that's what we need to allow the community, the business owners community, to innovate, find ways, be creative about it to handle uh, the pandemic. We don't need some uh, uh, PDF sent to our telegram saying from uh, Putrajaya saying that, okay, uh, because you are non-essential business, you must close down until... Uh, Until uh, notice other so, it's it's it doesn't make sense. It's ridiculous. Isn't it's it? ridiculous. So we need to make a different approach. We've been in this pandemic for what uh, almost sixteen uh, months now, and what do we learn? Nothing. So who um, <laughs> I know it's going to be a political comment that I'm going to make, just like you know with all the kerajaan gagal hashtag, but those people up there. Need to realize, okay. If it, if I know it's not it's not a thing in in Malaysian politics where people just step down if nothing works, it's only happened in Japan or in Western countries. 
but at least do something else. Listen to the people, convene the parliament, and uh, try something else. Because it's, uh, it's the definition of insanity, doing something over and over again, expecting different results. Yeah, I think you raise a point about how different businesses have you know different needs and the oper- nature of their operation differs you know very very widely from one business to the other. It's just the same as let's say uh, opening up recreational centers for sports. Like you know, um, okay, let's say take for example a futsal uh, center. Now these uh, this is a sport futsal and football. These are contact sports where people engage with each other. They tackle one another. You know, they make physical contact with one another. And you know this may not seem. This might have to have a more stricter SOP because this is a, a vector for easier transmission of the virus. But now that you notice that badminton, this is a sport that has no contact at all. Maybe you know just uh, running around up and down the court, hitting the shuttlecock. And you see that this may not need such a strict SOP to function and operate. It. This is like this is the example that I'm trying to take from Hafiz. Is that different things you know require different uh, approaches. And this, I think this goes into a wider problem with how power is delegated and autonomy is delegated to, let's say, the state level from the federal level. The state doesn't have much agency or autonomy to craft its own policies to tackle the situation that's really on the ground, the reality that is happening within their municipalities, uh, their districts, or the state as a whole. So, because everything, like I mentioned, you know, MKN is the final arbiter. It's left to the elite decision makers at the top level, making all the decisions that we have to accept as like a one-size-fits-all kind of policy. Um, like when you even have, even though we did last year, sub, the Sabah state government did employ some kind of policy where you're not able to leave uh, from one district to another. You know, rentas daerah, you cannot exit that. I think that was a you know was a good step in the right direction. Sarawak was quite adamant in making its own policy to tackle because different states have different problems. And I think you need uh, local knowledge to tackle local problems. This bleeds into you know, a huge, uh, wider conversation that federal is you know, the final you know, d- decider of what should be done. And I think this is more to a detriment than a benefit for you know, local government. Because if you, as a federal body, have to oversee all of Malaysia, all 30 plus million people, the population here, that would require a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of um, accounting, and a lot of data management. And let's be honest here, Malaysia and its culture, (laughs) looking back at history, we never really had a comprehensive bureaucratic structure or even a sensibility for record-keeping. Unlike, you know, China, which had 3,000 years of continuous civilization, their bureaucracy was developed and cultivated over that huge period of time. Malaysia doesn't have that. We never inherited that culture. Of course, some do. You know, They learn from the British, some learn from the Chinese, but this may not be applicable to everyone. This is a sensibility that's only developed within certain few individuals that are only exposed to this, and most of us aren't really exposed to it at all. So... We, you know, government structures, right, they, I feel like they're not empowered enough, especially the state governments, to make the shots, to make the call of what should be done. Because, like I said, local knowledge for local problems, and if you don't let them, you know, innovate in a way, like how businesses do, it's just going to be one person making the decision, 
based on let's say a report they received that this district had this many cases what do we do okay we do this and then suddenly it applies to everyone why should sabah with a lower infection rate have to follow the exact same sop standards of procedure that let's say selangor does they have a much denser population they the nature of transmission may be different maybe it's you know easier because it's denser you know people are close in more close contact you know going through the public transportation over here it's more uh, spread out in a way so i think you know decentralizing certain come on let you know trust in people delegate certain responsibilities to them and let them find a way to tackle it and you know if the if it doesn't work you know the people still hold the government accountable that's why i think there's a i think the notice is whole paradigm shift that i see more engagement than ever before between politicians and its uh constituents maybe that may not be the case maybe this is just window dressing maybe this is just for publicity sake but i noticed this to be the case and let's take uh, yb ginger fung uh for uh, as example the yb for luyang he um i noticed on his instagram page is that he always goes to he identifies certain uh, people in his constituency in need like with signs saying that we need help you know we're a family of five uh we're starving and stuff and so on and so on and he goes on there and just finds out what is the problem here and he you know identifies it and he distributes the right uh, necessities to help alleviate certain problems that this family has now this is one example but it shows that there is a conscious effort that some leaders political leaders are willing to engage more now and i think this is a good step in the right direction you know even though the challenge of covid is you know, very mo- monument monolithic in a way but i think it's cultivating a newer sense of identity with how people and politicians engage with one another Yes, I think uh, what COVID nineteen uh, does to Malaysia is expose uh, whatever uh, problems beneath uh, all this time that hidden from our naked eyes. For example, like you said, uh, how we can trust the local authorities to to handle uh, the the pandemic. It's you know it's it's staggering in in twenty first century that we in Malaysia we don't elect our own local uh, representative. Who who elects our uh, mayor, chief minister? So th- there's a lot of things, a lot of power actually that we give away to our to whoever sits in Mini Putrajaya or uh, those who sit in Putrajaya. So we need to do some kind of reform to this. I know certain uh, certain oppositions uh, uh, fantasize about uh, uh, reforming Malaysia in, in in different ways, but I think in looking back now. In COVID nineteen, that one of the priority we we need to put forward is reforming uh, the the structure of our uh, government. Like we need to give more share, more power to 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 to, to local community to elect our own uh, uh, leaders. Just to take for example, because we're going to learn a lot from our neighboring countries. Uh, we talk about Singapore. Now we're going to talk to. Uh, we're going to talk about Indonesia. Like Indonesia, right? Like they have this dana desa, what they call. So whatever uh, kampung they have, the kapala desa, they will dis- distribute the money to their own kapala desa, the ketua kampung. So the ketua kampung will uh, responsible because of two, uh, one of the reason. First, ketua kampung knows the area, and secondly, this ketua kampung knows the people. 
they the ketua kampung would know the uh, head of the family for every family that they have in kamp- that kampung if there's a 1000 family no so this is the man that you would trust to take care of let's say kampung a so using this template why don't we apply that to a larger scale so like for vaccination also right the, the program like oh we tr- we troubled to uh, set a pusat pengagihan vaccination pusat pemberian vaccination ppv yet we what we're struggling is to create a mega uh, size vaccination center instead of doing something very small but more in rural areas in 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 local communities something very close to people so they don't have to travel all the way to to SICC or to UMS to get the vaccination so these are the kind of approach to speed up vaccination center i know we already hit 2500 uh, jabs in a week i'm i'm not so sure the numbers uh, within this week because uh, the supply is quite lag behind so there's another issue to this why we are very slow uh, in giving vaccination to our citizens but point aside is we need to get the structure right if we don't have the structure uh, like you said Uh, see, it's gonna cost us in every situation that we have. So, uh, if we uh, we're talking about financial, it doesn't res- distribute uh, efficiently because it need to go through people in Putrajaya and uh, and maybe in Mini Putrajaya here in Sabah. So, uh, well, if you go through those people, y- you know what happened to those money. And when it goes directly to the people that we attended, it gonna be more efficient. As simple as that. So how we going to work? It's really important to uh, maintain the integrity of uh, how to balance the you know the ideation and also the implementation. Otherwise, we're going to stuck in uh, in a limbo where we talk our 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 politicians stroking their ego every day on media saying that oh we've done this we've done that we've done this showing numbers and data but yet on the on the ground doesn't translate as such so uh, whether we want to play the, the the game of blaming others like oh yeah because of the EU that is hogging all the yeah that's part of the problem but also part of the problem is you don't have a proper structure to distribute vaccines that's the end of it it's uh, you know as much as we should acknowledge that uh, there are in external uh, factors but look at ourselves and see deep in the mirror What's wrong with what we are doing? If we don't learn this after being in the pandemic for 16, 17 months, I think n- nothing can teach us a lesson. I think we need to go to civil war, I guess. We need to, uh, to, to you know, suffer like in World War II or World War I to learn something out of it. Because, uh, you know, we need to take advantage of COVID-19, not as just as a huge issue in our uh, 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 in our times, but also opportunity to be better. Yeah, I mean, look at previous plagues back, you know, the Black Death, even though it wiped out a huge population of Europe, it sort of catalyzed the whole Renaissance period because now, you know, discoveries of certain things, you know, people are more, you know, less inclined to be we're more wary. Sanitation is on a higher awareness at the time. So COVID can do the same thing for Malaysia because we see that this is a, a, a novel issue that Malaysia and most of the world has never experienced before. But 
we can take it as a lesson to see what is the you know the structural problems and there are many structural problems with Malaysia in how it handles uh, the COVID pandemic and this translates not just to distribution of aid but to governance as well. You see that um, because you know federal holds all the power, how can we you know, have some agency and have some you know um, autonomy over what we want to do within our local communities or our own state? But now, looking back, is that yes, we have to take it as an opportunity to grow. But I think the you know the only way to see that maybe some kind of discussion over um, how a better approach can solidify is that if we reconvene the parliament. Now the king has you know insisted on doing it, and I think the recent law minister also said that it will reconvene uh, before August, before the deadline of the emergency whereas Malaysia is in a uh, state of emergency right now till August. But parliament will hopefully reconvene before, uh, before that deadline. So we need more input from our local leaders, from the MPs, the YBs, everyone who is involved in distribution because these people are in charge of this area. They have specific needs. They have specific uh, ideas of how to tackle it. And to you know, bring forth these kinds of concerns and grievances into the parliament, I think it's the best uh, way forward, prohibiting that it does not d- uh, descend into you know chaos and bedlam into in the parliament where people are just pointing fingers. Oh, you done this. Oh, you do, you done wrong. This is uh, right. But you know, I I'm of the opinion that uh, differences may need to set us. I understand that you know the government has shown that they are quite uh, inadequate. So I think a new they think that a new government is required. Maybe that's the case. Maybe an election is required to set things straight so that you know proper leadership is also in place. But I'm gonna play you know the devil's advocate here and say that if you have an election, if you don't have proper SOP, you might experience the same situation during uh, Sabah's uh, state election. And not just that, but the change in leadership may be inconsistent with what the people want because people have to set up, let's say, the new ministers, the new people in charge. They would have to set up their own um, you know, bureaucracy. They have to settle in with the responsibilities that they are given. So that may you know, be a hindrance to something um, you know, more immediate. But maybe it can set something that they have you know, a long-term strategy. And that's what we need, a long-term strategy in terms of tackling COVID. We, let's go to the Pumuli package. I am of the opinion that this feels like another panjana or prihatin. These are mostly, uh, the mo- main focus here is 10% of this uh, Pumuli package is to be given as uh, cash handouts to families in 400, 500 per household to help them survive you know, in a month. And the other is mostly to try and you know, maintain certain uh, industries and companies afloat from moratoriums and all that and other kinds of um, you know, um, you know, just to maintain that businesses can still uh, continue. However, I do not see anything comprehensive in terms of jump-starting the economy moving forward. Now, you see is that um, Malaysia, right, we are stuck in this middle-income trap, meaning that we are producing goods with not enough value to bring us to a higher income status. So when we are in this situation is that we... Um, like let's take the case of uh, Malaysia's arrangement in terms of water with Singapore. You see, we have the raw, unfiltered water that we provide to Singapore. However, Singapore, 
it's very clever anyway. They they refine because they have facilities too, and they have the people, the skills that know how to do it. They refine the water to be drinkable, and they export it back to Malaysia at a marked up premium. And Malaysia is able to do that if we are not stuck with just exporting raw goods, raw resources. We maybe just like microchips is a something a good example of what we have so far in terms of adding value to goods. But what about other sectors? What about agriculture? What about manufacturing? What about a construction? You see, we let's take Sabah as a case example. We are in abundance with oil and gas. However, a lot of this tends to focus on the upstream sector, where it's extraction, where it's mining, quarrying for all these kinds of resources. But we don't add much value to it. This is because we do may not have the technical skills to, we may not have the infrastructure to. And let's apply this to Malaysia as a whole. What if, instead of spending all this money on, let's say, Pumuli, just to keep things afloat, but you, the government, right, I don't think that they are out of money. They say, you know, like GDP to debt ratios are like, what, 67%? However, let's take into account that most of this debt comes in domestic debt. There's not much international debt that we owe to, let's say, you know, foreign bodies or whatever. But government does have the money, I believe, to inject more into catalyzing and jumpstarting our other industries. Let's look at agriculture. These, uh, there's, there's, another, there's a new term going around called um, agropreneur. Is that you combine business, with, uh, business uh, sensibilities of innovation, competition with agriculture to produce better crops, better yields, stuff that are, is able to compete on a you know, much higher level. It's not even state level, international level. Government is able can tap into this by upskilling farmers to be able to tackle on like the new like you know, the new idea of what it means to you know, do farming you know smarter farming because and this comes from a utilitarian perspective as well. Malaysia depends a lot on rice imports from Thailand, so food security is an issue. I think the food security projection is that we only have enough food to sustain ourselves just Malaysia in itself for three months. We still rely on Thailand to make sure that we have enough food. So you see that uh, Malaysia is in this situation where we, do, we, can, we have a lot, but we don't do enough with it. We don't use it to its fullest potential. So I think government should have reoriented in terms of uh, restructuring the economy so that people are more skilled up. There's better infrastructure, better technology that we can bring in um, to make sure that we can you know, refine these products, make them the best that we can be, the best they can be, and export them at a much higher price. That people can enjoy, uh, businesses can enjoy this kind of activity, generate a lot of income, and it just trickles down with domestic expenditure. We, you know, the economy would still, uh, you know, generate would generate activity, but this still comes back to government incentive to do so. I think that in order to see a plan like this, if it ever comes to fruition, the most positive you know, perspective I can give is maybe a plan like this will only roll out, let's say, the first quarter of 2022. And that's you know, a long, still a long way to go in general. Yeah, that's very interesting you brought up agropreneur because uh, this is something what uh, uh, I heard also about youth, right? Like how government allocates their fund on certain policies. Like, for example... Uh, government already subsidizing a lot when it comes to prison, all right? So uh, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it costs uh, government uh, 30 ringgit a day 
for a meal. So if, if you imagine how many uh, prisoners that we have in our own prisons, uh, all this, this is money, right? That need to be accountable for. And uh, what I'm saying here is, what if this money, because we have all, because people go to prison for various reasons, all right? And most people, uh, they, uh, some of these uh, laws that we, you know, like, like uh, related to drugs or, or this, I wouldn't, I would, I don't want to say it's a uh, misdemeanor, but it's something, you know, like in in certain countries, it's not even, it's not even a crime. It's yeah. not an offense, like, but yeah. it's considered jailable here. Isn't it? Yeah, like homosexuality, people, people, people uh, being charged uh, because of uh, freedom, media freedom, something like that. So it's very ridiculous that in 21st century we still have this. But put that aside. Uh, if we re rechannel this money into what if, if what if because crime always related to economy, right? What if this money be given to young people, no question asked, interest free to start something, all right? Let's say like maybe five thousand, ten thousand. It regardless whatever they're trying to do, maybe they want to be a streamer, they want to be agropreneur, like you said. This money can be utilized to create more value, which. Uh, what you mentioned just now, more uh, like how we can value added to this, right? Because innovation doesn't come from government bodies. If you look at the world history, innovation never comes from establish uh, something very established. It uh, the you know the 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 story the famous story is how the uh, Wright brothers actually uh, discover uh, how we can fly a piece of metal in the air. It, it was actually uh, there was a professor from uh, uh, I, I can I can remember the university, but they were given loan by the government and a group of people, the brightest mind of that day, to work on the project to first uh, build a airplane. But why these people, this group of people, uh, university professor here, not just normal people, cannot uh, create what we uh, the the right brother did. Because they do not have the the same struggle that the uh, Wright brothers have, so innovation doesn't born from 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 office chair, the comfort of a glass of whiskey next to you, and then when you have a, a warm meal every three four hours, innovation just don't do that. We need to learn from that because it's 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 something that very. Um, uh, Something that our community overlook, like you know, like we we exchange our struggle with a temporary comfort. So, with this mentality, right, we need to give people opportunity to take on their struggles. The the, like you said, with all this money, they can be a entrepreneur, do what Azizul do in Ranau. Uh, by the way, Azizul producing a lot of uh, uh, vegetable from uh, this hydro hydro. It's not hydroponic. Something incorporate with the fish and vegetable, which is very very good. So his business is growing. Why cannot we produce more of Azizul? So this kind of uh, idea needs to be uh, implemented, and the government needs to see this pandemic instead of giving one off. Why don't we give allowance? Here I'm talking about universal basic income. 
maybe this is a time government for for government to do that like you said we have the money it's not like we don't have the money but i don't know why they hesitant of helping other people maybe this is again uh, a clash of uh, uh, you know uh, interest between between the stakeholders but but that's a different topic for a different time so again like i said uh We need different strategy, not just tackling COVID-19, but also uh, all the problem in as a whole. Yeah, it's just more like putting band-aids on cracks as they show, instead of finding like what is making the cracks. Correct. Like you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people like Azizul out there, and you know, look, you said in history there's that government never really is the one that innovates; it's the people that innovates. However, they will always. This is only because they have the patronage of government institutions or private patrons, let's look at um, Leonardo da Vinci. If you think that he is not able to produce some of his great works un- without the patronage of the Medici family or the Borgia family, you see that they, you know, if you give them the, the, the capital, the, you know, the patronage to show that, you know, we like your work, just do what you need to do. Here's the money that we, you can, you know, fund what, do whatever you want as long as you do something new, you innovate, do whatever you want. But you know, and, but uh, of course, you don't give them everything because I think the artists, you know, uh, thrives under certain limitations because they will find ways to overcome these limitations. But it still goes back to you know just providing some kind of support. And I, okay, the Pumuli package did say that they want to provide more you know assistance to the gig economy. But what kind of assistance is this? Is this being a patron to their work because you know the gig economy is very free floating? It's very like free, like diversity of opinions in there, you know, from music to art to film, and you know, Malaysia, we're not so open to you know material or content that challenges norms, that challenges us as people to think differently. We'd see it as oh, this is um, this is undermines the social fabric. This is very uh, this is you know haram in a way, but you know this it, by challenging people is that we can grow. You know, we can grow as a person. But going back to you know COVID, is that this is a challenge. We can grow from this, but we need to have the. You have to have to, to accept. You know, people throw around the new normal, but are we really embracing the new normal? I mean, in terms of governance, we need there may be a new like shift towards kind of like government which is more aware of public health, uh, maintaining you know um, order in a way, and the fact that um, the fact that We okay. Let's look at the Bendera Puti campaign. That is a manifestation to show that people seem to have lost a lot of confidence in government being able to provide. And do you think this Pemuli package would help alleviate all those problems? I don't think so. You see, now there's like um, you know communities coming together more and more than before. Neighborhoods becoming more communal in uh, identity. You know, in s- we have the the 99 Speed Mart campaign where they. You know, if they notice that someone is waving the white flag, because this white flag is quite sad, because you you raise a white flag to ask for assistance without you know stigma or shame, but you know you provide aid regardless. So it's really sad to see that it's come to this point where people's mental health has deteriorated. That they feel that can they have to wave this white flag? It's a sign of uh, desperation in a way. And to have a leader like the Menteri Besar of Kedah. Say that this is uh, this is propaganda. This is a political tool used to undermine the legitimacy of the current government. No, I, maybe it is a tool of propaganda, but it's sh- don't look at it as a 
know, attack on you as a as an administrator, but see it as a symptom that something here is not right with the way that we are doing things. See that there must be something that we can do to actually you know, help alleviate because this is I don't think people who are waving the bandera puti campaign using it just to spite the government, but because you see that it's not just if you think it's propaganda, then look at Sabah. There was an OKU facility that waved the white flag, and within two hours, they had received uh, assistance from the local communities, from the neighborhoods, and what have you. So the, with this new, you know, um, how you say, crystallization of communities coming together, I think, in a way, indirectly, it may breed some kind of uh, a newer spirit with uh, Malaysians. I think, especially for Sabans, because we always tend to never mind people, regardless of race and religion. It's it's sort of like harmony, but is that we come together, and I think it should be more. There should be more encouragement to this kind of spirit of cooperation because I don't think Malaysians are a very vindictive or spiteful or cynical group. We're quite full of life, and we're quite you know open to everyone. Yet we need to cultivate that. Okay, communities can do things themselves. They can get the job done. They know what needs to be done within the area. But you know, if we are just going to be um, letting you know rely too much on the government, of course, the government is uh, the prime uh, has holds the prime responsibility of the people. But the fact that the power is going back more to civil society and for the rakyat, it shows a lot that there's not much rely- they can't we cannot rely everything on them, and therefore they've you know they shirked their duties in providing. Yeah, I think also we need to learn that uh, any country that have uh, concentration of power, the percentage of concentration of power, never really uh, do well when it comes to uh, economy or 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 uh, social, yeah, social social uh, uh, issues. Because look at all this country who actually oppress their own people, who you know have too much power on their hand, and then just because you know. Uh, absolute power uh, corrupt absolutely, right? So, so that's why we need uh, redistribute the power that we have right now to in in the form of a better structure, so that um, a lot of people can partake in this decision making. All this SOP, all this in in incompetence uh, decision have been made only because a handful of people involved in that room. What if they open the door, let a lot of uh, uh, NGOs and GI comes in, bring their voice in, and then we can tackle this together? Like you know, the more the more the merrier, the better we can brainstorm this uh, solution for us because we know our own place. So why don't we want utilize the brightest mind that we have? I'm sure you you would lead um, the country anyway, but. What is the harm of sharing the responsibility to just listen and open up to uh, whoever that we think could uh, uh, provide a solution? I guess uh, that's it for uh, this episode. Yeah, uh, it's, I think it's, we're it's running out of time already. Yeah, it's been, uh, we, we try to, to make it uh, 45 minutes for each episode. And uh, definitely, citizens of this topic that we touch uh, lightly touch in this uh, episode gonna have their own uh, uh, episode. But that's hey, uh, another another time for another day, right? All right. So yeah, just as a closing remark, like Afiz made a good point. Share the power. You know, the government doesn't hold the monopoly on good ideas, 
And a wise person knows what they know, but also knows what they don't know. And so they seek assistance from people who know better. And with that said, just want to say like, you know, thank you for everyone who's listening. If you're still tuning in or dozed off already, uh, we appreciate um, you know listening because uh, we feel like you know we just want to say something really, you know, give our two cents into the into the hat. And you know, if you like what you hear, you know, follow Copy Time Council on Facebook and hopefully on uh, Instagram. And you know, if you want something more informal, on me and Hafiz usually are on Clubhouse. Well, I mean, usually there are formal sessions that we have like last Thursday it's quite formal and we usually have do have informal sessions but you know like just everyone comes in chit chat whatever they feel like on specific topic and yeah if you really want to like get in contact you know that's the best way we can have like a good discussion with each other and with that said you know just I'm glad to finally you know, be on Copy Jam Council and hope to do more episodes hopefully expand on things that we've touched base on in this episode Yeah, also on top of that, I would like to say that uh, we will be also creating a Telegram channel so you ca- we can interact more with our uh, audience out there. And also, we are open to any suggestions, topic that you would like us to talk about. So uh, any topics, uh, global or domestic, we are open to it because Adi and I just, uh, you know, like passionate with current issues and uh, all these uh, topics so with that uh, I think it's goodbye for now and see you guys on the next episode yep thank you everyone bye bye